Hello and welcome back to Fitness Behind the Filter with me, Hayley Irwin. Today we are on episode 10 and I have the delightful James Heath with us. Hello. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. <laughs> I'm, so I'm, James, I'm James Heath. Um, I'm a friend of Hayley's and I'm a boyfriend of Hayley's best friend. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and nervous to be honest with you about this. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine, you'll be fine. I've been so excited to have James on here because he's got a really different story to anything that we've um, had before. Um, but where are you at now, like in terms of job-wise, before we like dive back into the past? So at the moment, um, I'm currently working at a gym in Stockport, um, Elite Physique, which is great because I'm, I'm just only working there part-time. So I'm working in there four days. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and only work, you know, up until dinner time or lunchtime. What's it? Is that easy? No, it's a uh, lunch. I'm working at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're an online coach as well, aren't you? Yeah. So um, online seems to be picking up, you know, amazingly well, which is great, and it, it's it's giving me that a little bit of freedom. Um, to work so obviously part-time and just reduce my hours on the gym floor because you know obviously we're going to go into a bit into the past but I tend to work in my business and not on it mm. um, you know and, and you know the money was great but you just don't you don't have a life no. so I'd rather you know much now I've got a bit of balance you know get to spend more time with me and, and the kids and you know it's a, it's a great mixture really. I just want to go back to the beginning so what drove you to join the army? You know, that's a great question. That I was, um, I got home from college. What was it to, to about two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and it's when oh, it was when the you know the Twin Tower attack happened. Yeah, and I thought it was a film. I'd like, and I was living with my grandma at the time, and and I could see her in tears. And I said, "Is this a film?" She's like, "No, this is actually going on." You know, and and it was. From there, I think it was a year or two later when the Iraq invasions happened, and I and I needed to. I just, it was just in my head that's what I needed to do. You know, I'd always had it in my mind that, you know, if we, you know, what would it be like to join the army, sort of thing. But that, you know, it did it. it um, that spurred me to do. It. But obviously, I didn't join at that time. Um, I applied for the RAF. Oh really? Um, yes. Yeah, I applied for the RAF and. It was RNF Gunner, so it's their, their equivalent of, like, say, the Army's infantry. And I was I passed all the tests. I got every, everything. So I had a set date. It was the first September I was going to join. Um, and I got in a bit of trouble because <laughs> I was a bit lively when I was a bit younger. Um, yeah. And I got in trouble with the police and found myself in court. And it just wasn't a great time. I was about 18 years old. You know, I had everything mapped out, you know, and not as... And back then, obviously, not many 18-year-olds have things mapped out, and I did. And it sort of put a massive spanner in the works, and, and obviously, I didn't, I didn't actually get into the RAF then. You know, they said, no, you're definitely not coming in with a criminal record. So then, obviously, I to sort of changed my career completely. Because um, I come out of college as a, as a sports coach, and, and then I went and did landscape gardening. And actually, really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it was, it was only when I'd set up my own business, and it was going really well. It came to Christmas and completely run out of work. And obviously, 18, 
what do I do here now? You know, and I just found myself doing bits of labouring jobs, and I thought, you know what? Um, let's go. To, I just went to the careers office, and they, and good thing about the army, they accept idiots. <laughs> so it was like, you got a criminal record. You're definitely in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a yeah. I passed on me. I went on a two day course. When was it in Scotland? Um, which was amazing. It was brilliant. And then yeah, so I found myself. My first day in the army was the day before my twenty-second birthday. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so it was the twenty-third of March. So were you so that was... your grandma before that then? Yeah, so I was going through it the other night. Actually. It was weird, like the amount of places I've lived. I think I've counted over thirty. Wow! Like, yeah, up until today. Um. So That's almost like every like, house every year. Yeah, it is, yeah. Pretty much. And so, but I've, majority of my life I was with my grandma. So my grandma, you know, she brought me up pretty much. You know, so she was like my grandma, my best mate, my mum, you know. Uh, you know, and my dad was sort of away. She was my dad as well. It was ama- she was a, just an like, amazing lady. Um, but yeah, so I joined in 2008. And... and you know, absolutely no regrets. It was just an amazing, amazing experience obviously being in the army. It was, it was amazing. That was going to be my final question. Do you regret your time? <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, shoot. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can ask me again. Like, you just, we can edit that. <laughs> I'll ask you again at the end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so your life before the army then, there was nothing that, or was there something that you feel like you were like trying to escape? Because I was looking up sort of like, about people who join the army and looking at statistics and things like that, I'm doing my research. Yeah. And usually, I know. And usually, they said that most people who join the army are trying to like escape something or get away from something. Do you feel like you were trying to do that, or do you think it was that's just deep? That Haley, you know, that's deep. It is. Isn't it? It is. <laughs> I love it, but you know what? You you like one hundred percent right. I suppose it is. You know. It, I found myself getting in a lot of trouble. Um, and I think it obviously it stems from like childhood life. Obviously, you know, my mum and dad split up um, when I was, I think it was nine or ten. And I remember being a mascot of Stockport County when I think we were in the, the one below the Premier League. And I was a mascot for him. It was, it was amazing. But I remember being sat in front, like in between them both. And you could see they just hating each other. And I thought, this is so hard. And I just knew. And I found myself living with my mum and, and that was the worst experience ever, you know, and, you know, she put me through some stuff that, you know, I'll always sort of, you know, I'll never forgive her for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ever since then, it was, it was like that with my mum, she never really wanted us. So I'd always try and make an effort to get her back in my life. And it was just like, no, see you later. Yeah, see ya. You know, you're not, it, it, it's so strange. You know, and and she's done that. Like, I've not seen her now for. I've not seen her for six years. Does yeah, she live around she just, here. No, nah, she, she she. I think she's moved down south, like on the south coast. Okay. Um, with my sister as well. So she just. It was a case of, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether she just didn't want. So I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was, you know, but I was never a naughty kid. You know, I was always well-spoken, well-polite. 
I'm bad, I'm well dressed and you know, and I always tried to hide at school. It was just I suppose, you know, that behaviour back then and I suppose what brought me out in my teenage years to, you know, be not so much a nightmare, but always find myself in a bit of trouble. Mm. Um like rebelling. Yeah, I suppose. I think it was just a bit angrier than than what I should have been really. You know, it, it yeah, didn't like take much for me to go and yeah, and but I moved, like I moved in with my dad at a, you know, when I was joining secondary school, I moved up to Durham. Obviously, seeing bits of violence and and all sorts of shit. It was, yeah, it's it, it's mad, you know, and going from different girlfriends to different house and moving different places, and you know, it's pretty much as a teenager on my own, and like I found myself at my grandma's, and you know, she'd look after us, and but yeah, like pretty much on my own, like I'd have to get travel right across Manchester to get to my school and then go back and it, oh, it was just a, it was just a nightmare it was a bit mm. like some really enjoyable parts obviously with my child on my teens but like and some really good memories but you know it's quite a lot of it where I suppose like you said you know looking at them statistics it, it does it drive you to do something where you need a bit more control or a bit more as they call it like a brotherhood in them don't they and, yeah you know, like they are your brothers and, like a family yeah you know and I mean, my, dad, my dad's always, you know, he's, he'd be, he'll always be my best mate, but it hasn't been easy. You know, I remember as a kid, and I knew when we needed to go. Mm-hmm. Like one of his, one of his ex-girlfriends, she was second down black belt. And he went, and I had all my bags packed. Well, all my bags, I say, is a bin, like, bin bag with me <laughs> stuff in it. And I bear in mind, I'm only 11 years old. Oh so, and I knew it was already packed, ready to go. And I had no tops in the wash. So I just had a coat on, no T-shirt, you know, and he went, right, James. And anyway, as I came down, she'd kicked him straight the side of the head. So we were, I belted underneath him and gone, went and got in the van. And as my dad was running off, she ripped his shirt off his back and all. It was just, it was, it, and that was pretty much it for the next couple of years. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we could both sort of laugh at it now when we look back and, and go, Jesus, you know, bullet dodge. But, you know, when you when you're sort of surrounded by it yeah funny yeah no it's it's crazy and you know it's stuff like you just you don't forget it do you and and it does have it does any frustrations like that still come out now Mm. and you know it's sort of quite hard to get over not so much you know the sort of stuff obviously we're going to touch on in the army but obviously as a combination sometimes you know it doesn't help especially when you don't express it or talk about it Mm. Like, obviously, B knows about it because she she got out. It was over lockdown. You know, she she dug a tunnel in my head and she made me empty that shit. She did. Yeah. Jesus, that was it. and it was, you know, it was a it was a great thing thing for her to do. But at the time, it was horrendous. Mm. You know, having to talk. <laughs> Especially after so many yeah. years of not doing that. Yeah, you know, and and not being able to and and not having certain people around you. You know, to try and understand it. You know, you don't, well, not understand, just listen. You know, you don't have to understand it. It's just having that, someone who will listen and just reassure you that shit's going to be all right and knowing that you've spoke about it. And showing they care. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're just putting just an arm around you. Mm. Like, I, I knew it, I needed, obviously, to channel something. So, I, like, anything I do, Hayley, well, you probably know, and I'd be able to tell you, I, I want to be the best at everything. You know, I want to be the best coach. I want to be the best on stage and wanted to be the best footballer and so that didn't start I wanted to be the best you know recruit 
as a new recruit. So, you know, your first day there, it's quite nervous. You run into like a like the auditorium, and they had a like a series of Sharp on. I don't even remember it. Remember Sharp? What's it back in the day? What's his What's his name now? The Yorkshire guy. Anyway, they had that on, which was like quite ironic watching that war film, and um, everyone's looking at each other who you with and you going with and all that sort of stuff and you're trying to get to know people trying to engage people and it was it was only then when the, the gate I remember like the gates around it sort of sinks in and that's it you know and you're getting almost feeling of like claustrophobia in a way you know it's like shit you know what have I done mm. but then you know and then once you get sort of into your eight ten man rooms it's sort of when you get to know people you sort of understand that everyone's in the same shit together you know you know that one gets it, you're all getting it. So, what happened between finishing that and then obviously going to war? So, I finished basic training with a uh, best recruit. So, out of all the recruits, wow. I got a best recruit, which was amazing. Yeah, still got the cup and everything. It needs <laughs> <laughs> a bit of polishing, really. You wouldn't think it was in the army. That was great, and obviously, great going into battalion, and which is obviously a unit. So, I joined the One Mercy in Cheshire's. Um, and they were just getting back from Iraq, actually. So the transition was re- weird because they got back from Iraq, but it wasn't really sort of a lively tour. I think they'd you know, done a bit of shooting and stuff, but it wasn't like when we went to Afghan. You know, they got back and then obviously they get back and they see a load of what they call red asses. So us, so brand new recruits and, you know, they're coming in and have a look what you've got in your box. Have you got any, like, kit and all that sort of stuff? And they're, they're trying to suss you out and... I think they soon realised that they only spent one time in my room and that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> From there, it was that was only for like a month and then I went to the Falklands over Christmas, which was great because we spent most most weekends drunk. <laughs> but it was, it was like, a, obviously, it was a, a massive big training. It was, it, we were doing a lot, a lot of training out there. Um, and obviously, we still had to do like bits of patrols and guard and stuff because... You know, it's it is still guarded by mm. the Brits. You know, yeah. obviously the, the Argentine used to obviously still want it and still think it's theirs, but you know, it's it's full of English people speaking people who are a bit strange, but yeah. But that was a that was a weird country. You get snow rain and it'd be sunny all in the same day. So it'd be okay. snowing one minute and then it, yeah, it was so strange. It's so so strange. You know, we'd we'd going on patrols and we'd walking around with penguins, you know, and Oh my god! We do like yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely, I've got pictures of it. Um, I think more on my Facebook, but and then we do like a like a beach assault on these mini speedboats, and you have got dolphins swimming next to you, and it's like this is just where else am I going to do this? I was weird, yeah. like a do- like two dolphins either side of this little mini speedboat, and it was just incredible. You could touch them. It was weird. Oh my god! So then, when yeah. did you go to Afghan? So Afghan was two thousand and ten. Um, so basically I'd done my my PTI course so I'd qualified as a physical training instructor and then a month later um, we got deployed to Afghan in the April so you, you, obviously there's a load of training like pre-deployment training you know find yourself on, away for a couple of weeks at a time you know every other week um, obviously getting quite tough that and the first 10 days you, you're in Camp Bastion so you it's acclimatisation, so you're getting used to the heat, you're doing fitness and stuff like that, and doing a lot of ranges where you obviously you're testing weapons and 
obviously it's all live ranges because you know as soon as you get out on the ground you know it's a two-way range then you know you everything is live there's no you know there's no messing about it it's, you know you you know you your weapon's constantly loading it's constantly ready ready to go you know unless you're cleaning it yeah <laughs> so and that, that was weird because you know you spend seven months six seven months holding your weapon everywhere you go and then obviously you know, all changes when you get home, but it, it, it's quite strange. So what um, was your life like when you were actually in Afghan? Like, So, yeah, so obviously we'd, we'd do the 10 days, get on a Chinook with all your kit, and then you'd, you'd land, and we went to a place um, called Babaji in Nari Siraj, um, or the district of Nari Siraj, Nari Siraj. Sorry, I put my teeth back in. And um, and it's quite, it's quite a daunting, intimidating thing. You know, you go into a war zone knowing... We knew a little bit about where we were going, but we didn't know the extent of it until we turned up. Okay. So our multiple commander came back and he, he he had his briefing and stuff, and he said, you know, basically, he, he drew a dot where we were, PB1 it was called, and he said, the, the, obviously the, the guys who were there before, I think it was the, the culturing guards or the Welsh guards, they were like, don't go there, don't go there, we don't go there. And he basically drew like a two, 300 circle radius around where they are. He said, you go past there, you get shot at, you go past there. And we were like, fucking hell, you know, it's, this is, this is it. And we're here. Yeah. It was our first, and we went on our first sort of patrol, had a little look round. And we all went out about 100 metres around sort of the PB, which is patrol base. Um, came back and then we went on our, obviously first one on our own. And we patrolled down this route. It's called Route Kronos. And um, we're going to a, a checkpoint called Kings Hill. If you can research Kings Hill. Um, and it comes up with all sorts of stuff. And I'll tell you a story, obviously, outside Kings Hill as well, um, which was horrendous. But about it was about 10 metres, like, sort of to the right. There was a big tree line. We were patrolling. All of a sudden, this ID went off. And it was just a bit of shrapnel. It caught our lead man on his knee. You know, it was the first bit of action we got caught in. And someone gets injured straight away. So, obviously, shrapnel hits his knee. Like, and a big gash in his knee. Obviously, he gets wheeled back. And then we go back. And it was like... Oh, that was our first patrol, and we're, and this is what it's like. And that was it. It set the set the president then, because every time we went out, something happened. You know, we knew he was getting shot at, or you know, just. But I remember the first contact we was in. So the first time we were, you know, we got caught on a fire, and basically we we patrolled out, and it was a bit of an operation where they wanted to chop some trees down or something like that, and, and or do something. So we had to basically patrol out and sort of make sure that nothing's going to get past in a way. So we set up what's called like a lazy L, so in like an L formation in this like little bit of a, I don't know, this sort of growth area. And you could see, you could see out, we're there for about an hour. And all of a sudden, you know, if you ever cracked like a belt together and it makes like that yeah. whip sound. Well, that's what it's like when you get shot at. That's when a bullet goes over the top of you. That's what it sounds like. And it's just as loud. And uh, all of a sudden, just open fire. The, I could see where it was coming from and obviously we get shot at so everyone sort of hit the, the deck anyway and all these bullets go straight in front of me like literally like a metre away just a line of just bullets just hit right in front of me and I could see where they were shooting from but at the time we'd, well you had what's called card, card alpha and you could only like card alpha is the rules of engagement so can I shoot back at them am I allowed to kill them mm. and, uh, and I messaged back to 
Dava and when I said we last shoot back and he got on the radar and I thought this and, and I just shot a UGL which is a grenade just fired it and it missed it fucking missed Miles because it was first contact so I bracketed and aimed down shot it again and just went bump just went silent instantly and that was it contact over so the two rounds I managed to get off I you know potentially killed them or whatever but yeah it just stopped it dead um, which was interesting I and mean, obviously then we had to extract out of it which was quite nerve wracking because as soon as you stand up <laughs> you know you're waiting for them to shoot at you anyway they didn't so it, you know they must have been you know it was either us or them it was them that time so mm. were you yeah, that like, was like, fearful for your life at that point um, no. <laughs> you probably laugh like I found it really funny because I looked round to to the lad on the, the right and he's laughing his head off and I looked to the left and he's crying his eyes out and I thought <laughs> it must almost be like a shock reaction you know like some people have that like nervous laughter yeah and, and it was then it was then only then I was like right I'm getting some rounds off and it was like dump dump you know find them both off and because I could see where the, the smoke was coming from where they were shooting from oh my gosh yeah yeah, so, so that was like the first the first time we got shot at and that was like in the first week. So we've been blown up and shot at on the first week. It was mad. Oh my gosh. Mm. Had you expected it to be like that? Had you expected you it? Don't, you know what? You don't... It's hard because you, you don't know what to expect. It's, you know, you, you're thinking, you know, what's it? It's, I don't know. It's so strange. Because like, obviously you watch war films, you play war games, but it's nothing like that. You know, the, the the closest thing that's ever come to watching it is something like Saving Private Ryan, you know, and and obviously that was a bit rougher than where we were, but, you know, it was still, it's still relative. You're still getting shot at. You're still seeing stuff that you shouldn't see, mm. you know, and, and seeing stuff that not many people will see or be How able to handle. You, and Yeah. How did you feel, like, going back? Did you sleep that night? Like, do you start... Not sleeping, just sleeping things, or is it just? I mean, it's hot anyway, so it's quite hard to sleep. But you're that knackered, you know. You're carrying two thirds of your body weight all day mm. on patrol, you know. And and the Taliban used to call us donkeys because we'd just be carrying that much kit. You know, you think you're carrying a load of ammunition for the guns, you know, for the machine guns. You're carrying your own ammunition. You're carrying twenty-four hour rations. You're carrying radio batteries which are five six kilo each you know you're carrying six liters of water grenades and i had like grenades from a rifle you know and you know cleaning kits and all sorts you know and you might have a you might have an in-law which is a, a grenade launcher you know and <laughs> yeah. rocket launchers they got yeah so it's a set of ladders you know a valon which is a uh, metal detector, you know, you, there's so much kit required to go on. But then the Taliban are running around in flip-flops and a rag and, and an AK-47 and they do just as much damage as we do. It's weird. Oh so, yeah. were you, was there a point when you were out there where you realised that it was like negatively impacting your mental health or was it not until you sort of got back? I knew there was, there was two points yeah, there was two points where, where I knew that I was going to suffer bad. Like I knew that 
I had to put in the back of my mind. And, and I remember the time it was me and my mate, Ebby. We'd, we'd been in an incident. I'll tell you about it in a minute. And and we put our heads together and we just burst out crying together. It was weird. You know, something you'd never do like in Civic Street or mm. you find yourself doing with your mate or very rarely, you know, as a, like a, you know, early bloke and stuff. You just, it, you know, that sort of thing. But now, obviously, I wouldn't think twice about having a cry. I love a good cry. Yeah. You know, get it out, feel better, you yeah. know. And, but we put our heads together and I remember um, we mate Kev Howard. We went, right, he said, boys, get your shit together. He said, don't let the boys see you crying. He said, they need you too. You know, because it, the boys had lost the shit, completely lost the shit, you know, they'd just seen. So basically what happened was, am I right to tell you stories? Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Yeah, right, wicked. So basically we've gone down route Kronos. So we're heading south towards a place called Kings Hill. Um, and I remember being out on, before Christmas last year, right? And we've gone out with a load of boys and one of the lads, I was telling, the, and he was with us. And I told him the story when he went, okay, oh, he said, this is the first time in 10 years I've had clarity of actually what happened that day. And he burst into tears. He was like, I've been going in my head, I've been going mental and he like, his mental health suffering massively. And he said, I've been going mental until you've just told me that. He said, I understand what's gone on now. I understand it. You know, the story. And, and I remember we're patrolling and this operation we were doing, it was supposed to be company led, which or even higher, which is like hundred, you need hundred blokes for it. We went out with 15 of us, right? It was ridiculous. Went to a place called Kings Hill. <laughs> Now, whenever you get like a PB or, you know, a checkpoint or anything like that, you have your sentries, so you have your sentries. And, and basically that covers all the ground, which we used to call our arcs. But it was one place in Kings Hill that the arcs wasn't covered and it was a bit of a blind spot. And it was this tree line, which was ridiculous. You know, it's such a massive thing that should have been covered because it's such an easy entry point for like the Taliban to use and in, implant, you know, IEDs and stuff like that. that it was such a vulnerable point for us anyway. We needed these two trees chopping down. So we had to provide cover. So we'd push out, provide cover and allow them for these trees to get chopped down. So put a set of ladders, we had to put two sets of ladders. So these ladders were ended up about 15 foot across this irrigation ditch, which is like a river running through. And so the first man went over. So I took a knee, first man went over, which is the Valor man, which is, so we, Obviously, made sure it was safe, or what he thought was safe. Went over, evaluated the rest of the area, made like a safe entry, because obviously there's IEDs everywhere, <laughs> they're everywhere. And there's a lot of like old Russian mines as well. So obviously when the you know, Soviet Union were there and got their arse handed to them as well. Um, they've left a load of, under the ground. But second man went over, which was uh, our multiple man at the time, which was Ebby. And then me, obviously, I was 2IC then at this point. So I've crossed over, stepped to the left and took a knee and I was facing out and I was making sure the boys at the front were covered. And I went, right, Brookie. My mate Brookie crossed over. I said, take a knee there to the right. And as I looked up, there was a there was two compounds, so like these two houses called six and seven, compound six and seven. And this guy pops his head round. I thought, this is fucking weird because there's no one around. And I stuck my rifle up to him. And he ran back and all of a sudden it went boom. So a massive explosion. Like it was it was massive. 
and it was caught. This is all caught on camera. I've seen it all. It's horrendous. And um, basically, the idea was on the other side. So it was about about three, four metres away from me. And I felt the heat on the back of my neck. It actually picked me up off the floor and moved me about a metre. Oh, my God. And my mate, yeah, so my mate looked right. And, and he didn't go, Eva, Eva, like, because he didn't know Brookie had crossed over. So basically, one of my mates, Oxley, Daniel Oxley, he got halfway across. I mate Daniel Breeze. He then stepped on the device where, just slight, I don't know, slight right or left to where the the, foot, the ladders were. He stood on it, set the device off because it was a pressure plate. So obviously the plate would then come together and set the IED off, and it blasted towards us. And basically, it took. I thought I'd taken my legs off because I thought I'd have checked to check my legs, check my. Kevin Privates as well. I have to check them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're there. <laughs> Don't take them. <laughs> uh, and it, it left holes in my day sacks and my bag. Just like, and I showed Beam as well. Like, and she's like, she couldn't get her head around it. She's like, wow. I showed the kids because the kids keep asking, you know, and there's, there's shrapnel holes all in my day sack. And it was all in the back of my helmet as well. I felt the heat on the back of my neck. It was, it's weird. It wasn't loud, but my ears were ringing. Mm. It sounds louder, obviously, further away, but and I just heard, like, like a, not shouting, but just more. It was a horrible. Someone's in a lot of pain noise, mm-hmm. and that's when, at the moment, your heart sinks. As I look round, the mate's drowning, and he's got all this tree tree root. I don't know how the fuck he's ended up holding on. He's managed it anyway, and he, okay, he was drowning, and I, one of the lads was shouting, "Help! Help!" So I shouted over the, the barman to make like a bit of a safe area, made a safe area, we got in. And as I was coming in, I pushed, started pushing him up, realised he had no legs. And he's taking his arm off, well, taking both his legs off. And basically the blast was that hot, it cauterised his legs, so he wasn't bleeding. And it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen because I'd got these two fucking stumps in my face. Pulled him out and obviously he'd lost so much blood, he'd gone pale. And he obviously, I think he stopped breathing by that time. I looked, his arm was severed. Obviously, he lost his arm, but that was bleeding because obviously the blast wasn't as hot higher up and he was a really tall guy as well. And um, rifle had gone the whole lot. The, the ladders ended up 20, 30 feet away. Um, and I said, someone help over here. And I looked, and it was mate Woody who was talking about who we went out with on Christmas. Mm. Him. And the, the lad, my mate, uh, Andrew Bruce, who stood on the IED, he was wrapped around this tree. He wasn't just in it, he was wrapped around it. So it thrown him 15, 10, 15 metres easy. Like, it unbelievable. And I thought, I saw him, he's still alive because his foot was sort of moving. And if it wasn't, it was, that was like, it was, he was dead, basically. We managed to pull him out of the tree. And the, and the blast was that powerful that it, it sort of twisted his body round, completely round. So his head was facing the wrong way. He was missing half his body open obviously you could see everything inside him oh my god you know and yeah like everything had got it was it was gone it was obviously he was dead we put him on the the stretcher we got oxen on this mini stretch and we dragged him out and as we were sort of extracting the second one went off and you think this couldn't get any worse this unless he started shooting at us second one went off and an injured four of the lads took um a guy called scotty his calf off blew some guy's finger off shrapnel all this but he only partially detonated which was lucky because it didn't kill anyone, but it obviously we took 
six casualties out of 15. So if you think about one casualty, we usually take three or four blokes out of the equation. Mm. You know, when you take six casualties, I mean, luckily we was next to a checkpoint anyway. So we just extracted them to there. And then we obviously, but then we got a Chinook. They come and landed and we put, actually I remember the heat off the back of that Chinook. Bear in mind we're in 40 degree heat. They got the two massive engines on the back of a twin turbine helicopter. And it, you know, as I'm talking about, I'm getting dry mouth now because it's just like that. It's exactly the same. It's, you know, the adrenaline's going, you, you're on the verge of shitting yourself and, you know, and it's, it's such a, but you got to hold your shit together. It's, you know, the lads are looking at you, what we're doing next. So it's like me and Abby and we had a, we had a sergeant major there who just lost his shit. He just, he was just looking around like complete battle shot. What's just gone on? You know, and it, it took a Lance Corporal and a Corporal to sort it out. Crazy. So, yeah. So, obviously, we lost Breezy. And it was weird because in, in Camp Bastion, me, Breezy and Ebby were sat there talking about what cars we're going to get when we get back. I'm sure you wanted, like, a Focus ST. So, that, that it, you know, when you think about stuff like that and you sat there and we're all talking about what cars we're going to get, you know, because we get, like, a nice five grand bonus and all that. But you don't realise the, the shit in between. I suppose it's prep, you know, people want to get on stage and they don't realise what they've got to put in. Mm. Kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. Just look at the end result. Yeah. Yeah, when you said and, all of the boys had lost their shit, like just before you went into that story, um, yeah, what did that entail? What did that mean? So basically, we I mean, was only like what was it, about a mile, not even a mile, probably about a k away from the PB. So they brought a couple of wagons down to pick us up, or pick some of the lads up, and the lads were like crying uncontrollably. They wanted to just run out and just shoot everything, go and kill civvies, the lot. They just wanted to do everything, you know. And and we're trying to stop these boys from running out the fence. And go and do something stupid mm. or running out the gate and it, it was a case of get them on the wagon and get them back you know and, and then we'll deal with them when we get home or get, or get home <laughs> but yeah when we get back to pb1 you know and, and we had to patrol back which was which was nerve-wracking because you've just been in such an ordeal you know you you just you've gone on patrol with people and you've not come back with them you know and you know it was weird and there was about three or four of us that patrolled back. You know, with a couple of lads from, from another multiple. But yeah, it was um that was a bad day at the office. That was that was the worst day. Obviously we've seen other stuff like other bits of missing limbs and but that as as, as an ordeal of being in as part of it. And yeah. Oh you God. know, that was yeah, it was it was it was a crazy day that and you know, I've been ever been the scariest part of it as well was patrolling back. You know, even though we was armed up and sold up and we're good to go and we're, we're confident in our training, you know, you are, you're nervous, you, you're rushing back. You know, you, you sort of forget what you can do and what you're capable of because you think, fuck, I don't want to do that again. What if I step on this? You don't know if your next step's that step. Yeah. And so that's, having you're that on your mind. To do that. Well, you are, you probably are, but like, you know, you can't do anything about that. It's not, it's not a matter of how good a soldier or you are. Like, if you step on something, you step on something. You know, you could be SAS, SBS, you know, you could be Navy SEAL, you could be whatever. You know, we're, we're all human and we're all, we all make mistakes and, and it's not even mistakes sometimes, it's just unlucky. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. It's just, you know, you you step on it and it's, you know, we're all going to step on it unless you find it. And the only way we used to find it, because we were trained to find them out, but our, our role was other things. You know, there's, there's other parts of the army which 
do with that sort of stuff and we wasn't so unfortunately so when when we found it we usually stepped on it which was wasn't good no obviously but yeah so no, that was a it was a day obviously that I think about pretty much every day and 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 going back to sort of mental health the worst part of that was that guy popping his head out the compound six and seven for me you know you could take away all the stuff that I'd seen it was was it that guy mm. and it turned out later on I seen that little bastard as well like two months into the tour exactly the same similar situation except we didn't get blown up we were just getting ambushed you know and again he was part we used to call them dickers so the guys who would walk around with a rifle because you couldn't shoot them and they'd, they'd be on the radio saying yep yeah, I suck a hair the hair they're making it through and then they go right now shoot them and then we'd be listening to it on the radio. So you sort of brace yourself ready to get shot at. It was, it was weird. such a weird scenario. You know, you're sort of waiting. You're waiting to get shot at. You're drawing the enemy to you every time. So you, you line yourself up for ambushes and happened a few times. So why could you not, this sounds so stupid, but why could you not like get him? Like why do you have to wait until you're told? Yeah, because you, you can end up in trouble. You okay. know, because say for example, he wasn't. And he was just a civvy. You know, all of a sudden then, you know, you know the big incentive out there was that hearts and minds. So it's it's about creating rapport, creating trust with the locals, you know, and, and sort of stirring away from either going onto the dark side, i.e. the Taliban, mm. or you know, and then you make a a mistake like that, you know, and and kill a civvy or kill some someone innocent, you know. It, you know, collateral is it's it's an expensive thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, and you know, you kill a Taliban with a rifle, that's him versus you. You know, it's them it's them tooled up, you're tooled up. It's a it's almost a fair fight, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you know what you what to expect if you get shot and killed, it's it's you almost it's you versus them, it's it could have happened to them, it could have happened to you, but obviously bombs under the ground, that's completely out of your your control and it. it's dirty fighting. Mm. You know, it's like going into a fist fight with a knife. Yeah. You know, it's unfair, isn't it? Yeah. In a way, but war is war. And, um, but it's, it's that what if, like, I mean, as soon as I pointed my rifle at him, he was gone. You know, and I always think, could I have shot him? Could I have killed him? Because, wouldn't have known that bullet was coming at him. He wouldn't have known it hitting him because I wouldn't have missed. Mm. Which proved later on in the tour as well. And, you know, so confident in, the, in my ability, you know, in terms of not missing a shot and stopping contacts several times, you know, and, you know, and, and just being the best I could. It was, but that haunts me like every day. That little bastard that popped his head out, and whether he did or not, whether he dictated that explosion to happen, you know, we'll never know. Mm. So that's it. It's been it's that that's been quite hard to sort of live with. But the not knowing, the not knowing, you know, and and it could have been just a normal someone in the wrong place thinking, oh shit, you know, there's something going on over there. <laughs> yeah. But why would he run back? to put a rifle at him so mm. but yeah C crazy how long were your tours out there how long were you out there at a time so 
we was out there. He ended up close to seven months. Like, I mean, I was lucky because it was Lewis's first birthday, and I was like to Mobile Commander Dabba, I was like, mate, can you get me this time off? It's his first birthday. Grafted me tits off, and you know, same as ever, whatever. But he managed to get it off for me. And I seen Lewis's first birthday, it was amazing. And that was so strange because he'd gone from getting shot at two days before, landing in the UK, getting home, seeing your kid. Mm. It's like, wow, it's like, you know, when you come back off holiday and you think, wow, I was on the beach yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like that, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you feel like you back. could be normal when you went back? You know, I don't even know. I don't, I wasn't normal when I got back. Like especially when I got back from the end of my tour, I, was, it, I wasn't normal. You know, I'd seen an awful lot of stuff, and I wasn't sleeping at night. You know, I was having nightmares, and I still do now. You know, and my nightmares now are more so out of my con- well, nightmares are anyway, aren't they? And dreams are out of your control, but mm-hmm. it's more so living from that experience of what if to being in a dream where I can't do anything about it. So I go out on patrol and all of a sudden my weapon's gone and I think I'm getting shot at. I'm like, wow. And all of a sudden I look around, my helmet's gone. And then the two things that, you know, you, you, you take them off and you feel so vulnerable, mm. not your body armor, your helmet. Yeah. And you, and you got, you know, and it's, and, that, and I have them experience, or I'm getting shot at and I lose everyone around me and all of a sudden I find myself running. And it's it's so strange. I have the same dreams over and over again. I was going to ask if they're the same ones. Yes, same ones, same place, same people, same everything. You know, and I tell B about it and I was like, I had the same dream. Does it? Do you it's, wake it, up from the dream, like, panicked? I've, or the do last, you not wake like, up in the morning? Especially now that, like, obviously we're we're prepping and tired and and stuff like that, and and I suppose I don't even realise that you know that like this month's mental health month, isn't it? And yeah. and certain anniversaries come up, and I find myself a bit rattier or a bit like, why am I a bit irritable? You know, like, and it's and then I think, you know, you know, it was the month that my boss died, or the month that Breezy died, and I was caught in that exposure. The month I blew someone up or whatever, you know, it's that and. Yeah, it's weird, but... So those dates don't ever leave you? They're always... No, it's weird. And I forget about the dates. I'm like, shit, it's that date. Yeah. You know, and I shouldn't, but I do. You know, and I I do forget it. But, you know, I found myself, like, the last six weeks, you know, especially a couple of weeks ago, I always found myself most nights waking up crying. It's quite... it's, It's weird, and I feel really embarrassed waking up crying. Obviously, don't wait to be up because nothing can wait to be up. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's a strange, strange thing. Like, there's something that's happening so, around this time that has caused that. Do you think? Well, I think around about this time, obviously, we, we were getting ready to come home, but we're on the last like twelve days, we got sent out on an operation, and it was it was it was lively. Like you know, we we could have been killed quite easily, and we were still getting shot at when we got in a snook on the way home. You know. And basically, we got we got sent. We took over this compound, and we stayed quiet for a few days. And all of a sudden, you know, the shit hits the fan. Mm. And this operation we're doing was huge. You know, there was different battalions all over the show, and and basically, we was just doing a massive clear out and just fucking killing everything mm. and moving everything out of the way. And 
sounds awful that, doesn't it? But, you know, and, and the Taliban knew where we were, they were waiting. And it was mad because we were digging, we were filling these sandbags. You know, we're looking and think, God, we were lucky. We're filling these sandbags and we just heard like the crack go over the top. I was like, and all of a sudden, load around and said, right, okay, that's a <laughs> body armor. So, boom, first explosion went off and landed right in front of the compound. The second one went over the top of us, bang, like massive explosion. And just as we got into the rooms or the, the different sections where we were stood, where all the sandbags were, one landed right in the middle, blew the lot up. And we were like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh. I think we're more gutted about all the work we put. We put hours of work filling these sandbags and they blew them up. <laughs> <laughs> so did anyone get yeah, hurt in that one? N- no. I think, th- I think the most hurt someone was got, the, the, this is, me and a lad had a scrap. You know, <laughs> yeah, that was, the, that, that was the, the most, but that was, that, that was hard. And the, it, I remember two pirates taking over us as well. So the parachute regiment, they took over us. <laughs> And as soon as we left the ground, so as soon as we patrolled back, we straight on a schnooking out, gone. You know, and that feeling of getting on that schnook and you've just done seven, six and a half months. Mm. You know, everyone's shouting, like screaming, crying, you know, and it's mad. Yeah. Do you th- did this scrap happen because, it, like, with that you were just talking about, because there's like so many emotions and there's so much anger? Hugely, yeah. You know, and, and, I'd asked him to do something. Like, we're really good mates. Like, I still talk to him now. Um, um, Scouse lad. I don't think he'd be happy now being on lockdown, but... Um, <laughs> oops. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, he... And I asked him to do something. He wouldn't do it and he's gobbling off. And I think it is. It's just a mixture of emotion. You can see now, like, why I reacted, why he reacted. And we did, we were fighting, you know, and the, the boss, you know, captain had to split us up, which isn't always a good thing. <laughs> No. You know, when an officer's trying to split, you know, two lads up, but, you know, we'd sorted it pretty much straight away. You know, we, we had a chat and, you know, we sorted it and shit happens, you know, you you can't not live with a load of blokes and and who's seen some stuff and, you know, and, and, and be able to get along constantly. It just it can't happen. No. So when you, you know, came home. a lot home, of stress. Yeah, stress yeah. as well. When you came home, did they offer you like support or like counselling or anything? Well, so this is a massive downside. I don't know what it's like now, um, but it was a you know it's a massive downside to to the army and and it was. I remember going and seeing this general and one of my mates, Luke Harrison. He went and seen him, and he wanted to kill him. Basically, flipped the table up, wanted to rip his head off because the way he spoke to him, he wasn't someone who was trying to help he was tr- someone who was trying to I don't know collect data mm. as you'd say and you know and, and basically talking at you so I went and seen him and I wanted to do the same and, a bit, and I think I told him like sir like, I'm not fucking listening to you that isn't what I'm thinking mm. you know and basically walked out you know slammed the tab and then see you later but and, and I went and seen this ex-sergeant major and he was um he obviously ex major he was ex army and, and he was he was really, really nice and I went to see him about three or four times and and I thought I dealt with it. You know, you sort of crack on and and I wasn't living a you know, a great relationship. Obviously I was married at the time. Mm. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't great at all. You know, sort of quite emotionally abusive but um 
which I didn't need at that time because I was a nightmare. You know, mm. I, I needed help. I was drinking every night. I was smoking 20 fags. I was smoking 20, 30 fags out there, you know, and I wasn't looking after myself. I was a PTI. I was, I was someone people looked up to and I just wasn't taking care of myself. You know, I was pissed every night and I was fighting all the time. And I remember getting leathered, you know, off a load of lads in Catrick. You know, I'm still got scars on my face and I'm thinking, this hurts this. I need to sort something out, you know, I need to stop falling out with blokes at camp and, you know, I hated everyone, you know, I, I hated series and I've just walked past someone thinking, they have no idea what I've gone through and it's like, well, they're not, they won't know what you've gone through. How are they supposed to know? Yeah. But it's not what, you're not thinking clear, you're not, you know, nothing's clear in your mind. You know, it's, you think it's, the world's against you and it's not, it's, it was just the Taliban was against you. Yeah. But it's hard because you, you know, and, and B laughs now because, you know, when she says James is assuming the position, the fly position. <laughs> so, you know, when she says I'm falling asleep. When I'm having a nap, when I do, do you know what it is, right? Because we used to have to obviously sleep with our rifles. So it's like that. So obviously I sleep like a fly. Because obviously, and I can't get it out of my head. So it's like when the house is dark and I'm getting changed and I don't want to wake B up, I shut my eyes because I, I, I know where everything is. It's, it's so strange. It's the same. It's the same. You know, you don't you don't lose stuff that you used to do in the army. Yeah. Right? Assuming the fly position, because I still think I got my bleeding rifle on me. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Does it affect your daily life now? Your PTSD, and and if so, how? Obviously, like you've said about the like sleeping and the nightmares and things like that. But like, do you flinch when you hear bangs? Yeah, I don't like bangs. You know, and and. It's, it, yeah, like, obviously a gym's a noisy place anyway. I think when someone unnecessarily bangs, it, it does make me jump. If I know something's going to happen, like a, a rattler or dead or, you know, or whatever, then I can sort of brace and anticipate it and, you know, it's all right. But, yeah, there's, if there's any sort of loud noise, I do, yeah, I do shit myself. Yeah, I still shit myself now. You know, some people find it funny around you. I'm like, laughing, you know, and and... Yeah, and I think obviously B's getting a head round it as well, you know, obviously having someone in the house all the time, but, you know, obviously with noises, I, I do go, Jesus, babe, shit myself then, you know, and I try and make it like light-hearted, but really I did shit myself, you yeah. know, I, I do, you know, and it, it does, it brings back, like, you know, like the first day of summer over here, you get like a certain smell, don't you, and the heat and, like, it's like that, or when that brings back memories or when someone's burning rubber, or it's just a weird smelling that sort of stuff, you know, and that brings back memories and it, yeah, it's made, yeah, like little things like that. I have a moment of, oh, and then you sort of got to regain my stuff then, and yeah. How do you how do you rationalise it? Is it just that you've got used to it now, or is it a case of like do you act differently when these things are happening? Uh, yeah, like, I try and, do you know what, I don't know, I think I didn't, like, it was hard to handle until I, like, spoke about it, and obviously when, when B got out, got it all out of us, because mm. she's the only person that's managed to do that out of all the people that, you know, I've gone to see help with, or whatever, that, like, I remember when I moved into my apartment in Reddish, you know, um, February, 
and obviously then lockdown happened and you know I'd lost my business overnight and just the realization of just shit like I'm on my own I've got just me and my thoughts that's it and it's it's quite a a dangerous thing and it was dangerous in my mind you know and and having these things like I, I, I had visions of the door blowing off its hinges or the windows coming in and it was awful and you know and yeah it was, it was, it was that was pretty awful that like it was quite a testing time like in my life and I did I lost me lost me shit for a bit you know I, I just couldn't get my head around it and I'd look at pictures and I'd just burst into tears and I'd be like what's going on but it was that it's the only time I've managed to sit down and actually think about it for 10 years mm. like, because I've kept myself so busy and found myself doing things that that enables me not to think about it you know it stops me from thinking about that and I suppose it comes out in my dreams it, it comes out and say anger but having that having someone to talk to has just completely just flipped it on its head like I've managed to create little sections where I can just think about it every now and then and deal with it instead of just being in one box ready to just explode mm. you know and and that and that's why like lockdown has been a blessing because it's managed to get my shit in order yeah massively you know it's, it's changed the it's mad because people ask me they go well my you know i don't know why i'm explaining my bad day because it's nowhere near as bad as your day i was and i always say you know don't ever compare yourself to anyone else because it's relative mm. You know, you could break an nail. It could be the worst thing on the planet. You know, it could be equally as worse seeing Me. dead people around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I broke a nail. Shit flying everywhere and all sorts of stuff and yeah, tears and that. But you know, and and those days are never going to be as bad as my days. But it's understanding. It's having someone there to listen. You know, and they're not. They never are going to be unless you've seen it. Mm. So, but I would never compare and say, oh, I'd say, you know, sh- shut up. You know, I've seen that people have done this, I've done that, I've killed this, boom, boom, boom. You just wouldn't, you'd never ever do that because it'd just be, you'd never get along in life. You'd never be approachable. Whereas if you just sit back and go, well, that is bad. You know, it, for you, that's bad because that's why you're acting the way you are. That's why you're suffering. That's why you're not talking or, you know, and, you and those things. Why you found yourself alone, um, I don't know when you and your wife, ex-wife broke up and things like that, but do you think now, like personally, obviously I know that it wasn't like you as a person and there were issues before yeah. that, but do you think yeah. that made a difference in where you had that mindset? If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously, you know, I mean, that my marriage was an absolute, joke anyway you know when you know obviously I've got two beautiful kids out of it but you know having someone I never really understood or I didn't want to understand you know mm. and it was you know going through daily emotional abuse from someone just so horrible mm. <laughs> you know about her anyway but mm. you know and was was horrendous so you know why would I want to talk to someone like that you know and and like my dad, like obviously he he was a, an emotional wreck, you know. When I was out there, like especially watching the news and someone else had been killed and someone else had been killed, and 
and but no one understanding mm. you know and so you don't want to talk about it in a way you don't because you think you're not going to understand it it's not a case of i need to talk it's you're not going to understand mm. you know you again going back to you don't know what i've been through which is now looking back you think god if you would have just spoke about it or you know just took the time to just yeah just you know what i mean just talk hello um would that you be know, your would have advice? changed a lot of things i was gonna say what would your advice be to your younger self now coming uh, out of the army straight away or coming out of afghan how did i'd have probably been less stubborn in terms of i'd have stuck out and keep going to see this ex-sergeant major for at least another hundred times if not more mm. you know even if it was just something i remember him saying to me you know i'm going to talk to you about a few things today it's probably going to upset you and it did and he was right you know and but it got stuff out of me but it never really i never really dealt with it because i didn't know how to because it was, i was always like so angry about it and angry with everyone mm. but if it was advice to my younger self it would be to Obviously, just take a step back and understand that you, you do have a problem. It took me a couple of years to understand that I had a problem. Mm. Understand that you got a problem, and, and just find someone you can talk to about. Obviously, it was that slightly out of my hands anyway, mm. just where I was in terms of my life. But you know, and and just be, like it's taken me ten years to deal with it. Mm. And I still, obviously, still now, like I can't deal with certain things, but to actually like talk about it properly, and it's only like I've said, Tom stories to certain people, but it's all like human beings who, who actually know like the actual emotion behind it and understanding it. Mm. You know, and obviously the the people who are going to listen to this podcast as well, which is going to be really good, um, because it just gives you an insight to you know a really bad day at the office. And and it being relative to you. Mm. I think and it's really going to help a lot of people. I, mean, I hope so. I hope so because it, you know there's been a few instances this week, you know, of, of knowing people who have committed suicide, and it's just it's crazy. I've lost five six friends since Afghan. You know, from when they were there. You know, people taking their own lives, and you know, and it's quite sad and. and and listen to how they've done it to themselves and you think, wow, what must have gone through your head for you to do that to yourself? Mm. You know, why Why have you not spoken out? And it's, and you can understand why, because I didn't. Yeah. I just didn't. But I, that, them thoughts never went through my head because, you know, the rest of my life I enjoyed. Mm. You know, I had good friends. I was playing a good standard of football and, you know, I had all the good things happening in the army when, at the time and, you know, and, and I suppose having my kids, obviously, I never really, I never give that thought of, I'm going to take this, I can't be, I can't be doing this anymore. Mm. It was like, Beard said, to, you, you put it to the back of your mind and you just, you thought you dealt with it and you hadn't, you just stored it up until you had your own thoughts and all of a sudden it came out and it was horrible. Honestly. I guess in a way it, it must it might almost have been like a compartmentalized type thing where exactly yeah you couldn't deal with it right then like yeah. the emotions were so raw 
that it was, would have just self imploded if you'd have if you'd have tried to dealt with that deal with it even and it, yeah and and dealing with it at an early stage means that you don't have to relive it as much later down in life you know then there's still people taking their own lives from the falcons war in 82 mm. you know because you know back then it was a, obviously it was a, it's a different generation but you know they certainly didn't talk about it back then either mm. um and still now you know obviously but i just wish you know from my own mind uh, i i would have spoke to someone you know someone who's willing to listen yeah i mean luckily you know i've got being my life they've just you know it's just obviously completely changed that mm. completely changed the way i think about things and you know and i, I am more chilled i'm more you know do it assess situations better you know not getting pissed off and not losing my shit and mm. you know and yeah and that and that talking has has, has helped but it, it, it's taken me 10 years or here you know it's and, and it obviously you can still talk but not deal with it mm. yeah that you've so. got to you've got to be proactive with it right you can't just <laughs> yeah yeah, you know, you you got to do your daily things, whatever, whatever it is, whether you write it down, whether you, you talk about it. Like, when people ask me, like, say I'm out and friends ask me, oh, like, tell the story. And I'll tell them a story. It's, it's when people go, have you killed anyone? It's like, well, you shouldn't really be asking me that shit. Mm. You know, you shouldn't be asking someone, oh, yeah, have you killed it? Because it's not funny. You know, it's not a nice thing to do. And I know that. You know, when, you know, you know, taking someone's life, it's it's not, it's not something that, you know, you're going to be proud of regardless. Um, but I'll always tell my stories because mm. I find that's part of me dealing with it. You know, and I think it's more so that people can understand, you know, me or similar people in that situation. And you telling that story with so much emotion as well and not just, yeah. oh yeah, I killed someone, haha. <laughs> like people in the same tone that people sometimes ask you. Yeah. Think- it, yeah that is it is so important so important and it's the people who don't ask me that and uh, we just find ourselves talking like like you and me are doing now mm. you know it's you know i quite happily tell you loads of other stories that happened you know because we could sit here for another hour and talk about them all um you know because there's so many mm. you know so many different things that i've learned out there and 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 stuff that i can take away from it you know and but yeah, it's, you've got to deal with it, man. Mm. Yeah, you got, yeah. And, and one and, last and question. Definitely speak. Yeah. Um, what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself out there? Uh, out there. Or afterwards, whatever you want to. Knowing that you're capable of more, or finding out how much you're capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, it's like training on your own and training with a partner, isn't it? You know, you, you train on your own, you're always going to be two reps short. Mm. Without a shadow of doubt, you're with that training partner and you've got them two reps in yeah. the bank. It's exactly the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go, out, you go out and patrol on your own, you know, you think, shit, but you go out, tooled up with your lads, your mates, you know, and it's, it is the best feeling. And But knowing that, because people say to you, oh, I, I couldn't do what you did. I'm like, you could. You could do it. 
you know, you, you find yourself in that situation like like the Manchester bombing. Mm. And I bet I bet majority of the population who've seen that happen dealt with it and helped all the people around. I bet they would never think for one minute they find themselves in that situation or being able to handle that situation, but they did. Mm. And you can, whenever you're put in a, a certain situation, you know, like people say, Oh, I can't stand people being sick. But if you see someone seriously ill be vomiting in the street, you would go over and help, regardless whether you liked seeing sick or not you just would mm. so yeah it, it was that knowing you yeah, just find out what you're capable of and we were capable of a lot and believing in yourself by the sounds of it yeah you do and you you do obviously it, it, it's really good and until something goes bad and all of a sudden then you know your confidence can get dropped you know you're nervous you're edgy you know i remember be, being shot at by a plane you know and and ever since then, that, that's what loud noises do to me. Mm. Yeah, we were closer all dying. Um, not when I play noise. No, it's we found ourselves getting blue on blue, and and there was a there was an A10 Warthog plane. It basically shot at us. They, they thought we were Taliban. Luckily, I don't know how no one was killed, but I was stood behind this post, and all these sparks are flying past my face, and and he's like oh my God, what else is going to go what happen here? Yeah. And he came around for a second go and it's like, but it's noises, it's the noises of the plane slowing down, making the noise and it's the noises of the rounds hitting the floor and the sparks flying past your face and it's like, so it's just noises, it's loud noises, yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, giving me your time and telling your story. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're very um, welcome. No, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Hayley. Good. Um, so if people want to contact you, obviously I know you're quite like online coaching at the moment. Where can people like email address, Instagram handle, fire it away, plug yourself. So find me on obviously Instagram, James Heath six. You'll see me with me top off on majority of my photos. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you'll find some of some really good sort of, I'll be posting another sort of another army picture based and I'll do it on the back of this podcast as well. Cool. Um, and Obviously, online coach still do PT, but obviously building my online coaching business. Um, you see some tra transformations on there as well. If you want to contact me? Email address is jamesheathpt at gmail .com. I'm not giving him a phone number because he won't stop ringing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably get a shitload of emails now. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Feel free. No, I really enjoyed that. Cool. Thank you so much. <laughs>